if I can pull my ego out of the way and talk about something that's scary as shit to talk about, maybe someone else gets to see or listen to that podcast and go, you know what, if she did, so can I. Like, wait a second, I don't have to be miserable all my life. Yes, it's humbling as shit to go back and relive stuff that I am so not proud of. But again, it's made me who I am today. And today I cannot tell you how much I love myself, how proud I am of myself. And should, you know, should I die tomorrow? I'm like, you know what? I'm proud of me. You're listening to Femcanic Garage, the podcast that features women in the automotive and motorsports industries. A community that elevates, empowers, and evolves by smashing stereotypes and breaking down barriers for women. I'm your host, Jamie Blossman. Buckle up for the ride, Femcanics. Barbie the Welder is in the driver's seat today. She is an author, teacher of welding via her YouTube channel, influencer with over 62,000 Instagram followers, but most impressive is how she has become a world-renowned metal sculptor, creating sculptures for Miller Welders, Carolina Shoe Company, Harley-Davidson, and other major companies. Barbie pulls back the curtain and shares her struggles throughout her journey. Sit back and enjoy the ride. Hello, Femcanics. This is Jamie B. coming to you, and I have Barbie, the welder in the hot seat today. How are you doing today, Barbie? Excellent. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really grateful for it. I'm actually excited that on last minute we decided to do video with this as well, so who knows? We may all get a surprise and see some video to see our... Uh, well, my fat head with a big fat microphone in front of my face and Barbie with her cool ass garage and all her goodies in the background there. So Barbie, thank you so much for hopping on here and taking the time to spend with the Femcanic community to share a little bit about your story. A lot of the community already knows about Barbie the Welder. I don't know how you can't. You are all over social media and the Internet. The audience knows a little bit about you, but what I'd like to do is just kind of back up a little bit and dig into kind of before you became a welder. And we talked a little bit about this, and there was another podcast where you decided to kind of pull back the curtains and allow yourself to be vulnerable around some some of your past. And before we started the interview, I asked you if you're open to the idea of doing that again. For the Femcanic community because it was very, very powerful. I saw the Instagram post that you made and I'm like, wow. I, I was just, I literally got goosebumps when I read it. And I'm like, you had cool points with me before and it just went off the charts <laughs> for me because anyone can have a facade, but you you got real, you got raw, and you got vulnerable. And I have so much respect for you for doing that. And I'm going to shut my mouth because I'm just babbling now. But can we kind of take a step back before you became a welder and pull back the curtain a little bit to see, kind of give us that journey of how you arrived at being, becoming a welder? How far back do you want me to go? <laughs> <laughs> Have you always wanted to be a welder? No, actually. So welding, I was actually introduced to welding in BOCES. I went to... When I was in high school, I was actually in 
the alternative high school, the kids for the bad kids, I'll put quote marks in the air because they're not bad. They just don't learn the traditional way and they're bored, speaking for myself. But the high school I was at was for the kids that couldn't handle themselves in a traditional school. But it was lucky enough to be on the campus that we call it BOCES. It's a vocational educational program. And so the kids would go there for auto mechanics, body work, small engines, there's cooking, there's CAD, there's all these different programs that usually during your junior or high school year, you can choose and go half a day to. And while I was over in that school, like that was my school full-time because that's where our school was, uh, there was actually a welding class in there. And I just kind of stand at the window. There's like this, you know, like a little school door window. I just stand at the window and kind of stare. I didn't know you weren't supposed to. But it was just mesmerizing to me. That was the first time I ever seen welding. But it, I wasn't I'm like, oh, my God, I want to do that. It was just something that I'm just like, this is cool. What is that? Even though you burned out the retinas of your eyes. <laughs> I know, right? I was actually lucky to not burn out my retinas. I'm sure there was a sign on the door that said, don't look at the arc. But I'm that person, right? Like, the signs mean nothing to me. I'm like, oh, rules are made to be broken. I saw it there, but it just wasn't something like my first love was auto mechanics. And my goal from probably like 13 or 14 was to own my own garage. It's just something that like my dad was a diesel mechanic. And so I grew up watching him working on these big army trucks. And it was just so appealing to me that, and I loved working with my hands. Like from a young age, my dad would have me with him. So with him being my hero, I just wanted to go into auto mechanics like my dad, who was my hero. That makes sense. That makes perfect sense. I know you used air quotes around that's where the bad kids go, right? <laughs> I, I don't know how old you are, Barbie, but I'm I'm 41 years old. And when I was in high school, that, that was kind of the stigma around it, right? Because I was, it was pounded into my brain, you, you know, graduate from high school and go to college. And I tell everyone now that if I were to go back and do it all over again, I'm not sure I would do that. I think I would go the trade school route and I would I would want to do something that's working more with my hands because I, I was recently diagnosed with ADHD. And when I look back on my um, my childhood, it became clear to me like, oh, my God, that's why I struggled with those things. Uh, let me touch on something real quick because I don't, I don't want to get it misconstrued. The BOCES classes that were up there, they weren't for the bad kids. The BOCES classes were on this campus, but also so was the school for the bad kids. Anyone in high school went to those classes, and I hope I didn't get that twisted. I didn't mean to like mix that up. The school that I went to was for the kids who got kicked out of regular school. Just happened to be on the same campus as the BOCES classes were. Got it. It wasn't, so I apologize if I screwed that one up and... No, no, I th I think you hit it, hit the nail on the head. Did you end up getting kicked out of school then? Oh, yeah, I was kicked out of school long before I went to Bosey. <laughs> okay. So I got kicked out of um, Horsets High School. I got kicked out of Horsets in 10th grade and got sent up to the school for the bad kids that year, um, right around midterms. And before finals that year, I actually got kicked out of the school for the bad kids as well. Can you share, I guess, what why you originally got kicked out of school? Um, it was a bunch of stuff put together. But when I was in my original school, I actually went to school to drink. 
And we're talking again, this is 10th grade, so 14 years old. Uh, my buddy would bring in a bottle of Jack Daniels, and I had cigarettes because I was buying cigarettes at the time. Um, they weren't as strict as they are today. But uh, I was actually going to school, and before homeroom in the morning, I was sitting in the stall of the girls' room, and I was drinking Jack Daniels and smoking cigarettes like a grown-ass little woman. <laughs> wow. But that actually didn't even get me kicked out. Sometime in there, and my timeline's a little fuzzy because of what I've done in my life. I work hard to keep my shit straight with times, but sometime during, I believe it was 10th grade, I also, uh, I overdosed on speeders. Um, I was in class part of the time, and when I was there, I was an asshole, and when I wasn't there, I'm, you know, out ramming the roads, I would skip school and go over the, you know, I just, um, I was miserable in school. I didn't fit in with the kids. You know, I like cars from an early age, so jeans and t-shirts and steel toe boots has literally been what I wore for the kids that are popular in school. I just, they had a heyday with me. So you were regularly bullied? Uh, up until, I think it was about 14 when I finally stood up to a girl that was bullying me. I just got bullied from a little, from the time I was a little kid, like real little got bullied. And 14, I think, is the first time I ever stood up to one. And it was probably one of the best days of my life and still stands to this day because it was just such a freaking, it was a freeing moment because I felt like she backed off. Cause when I finally stood up to her, she was just like, this is a proud, right? She just didn't, she didn't want any more. And so like, ever since I like the kids that got off the bus that day, everyone got to see it. So everyone know, don't fart, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> But it took me years to to get, like, finally snapped. And there was actually a lot of stuff that, uh, that was just a rough day altogether. If I'm going to go down, I'm going to go down fighting kind of thing. Right. You were in high school. You were kicked out of high school. Then you went, it was like a vocational school. No, I went to, it was just called um, alternative high school. Alternative high school. So it's alternative high school is if you can't handle yourself in a normal school environment, we have an alternative for you. <laughs> it's where all the kids in the area that couldn't handle themselves in a regular high school. It was the kids that were skipping school, kids that were the attitude problems, stealing drugs. Like they just took all of us and put us in one school from all this, all the kids in the school district. So like from, I think four different high schools ish, somewhere around in there. So I showed up there thinking I was Barbie badass, and I was sadly mistaken. Because <laughs> I just like to skip school. What sent you down that path? A lot of stuff. So it started out with really low self-esteem and getting bullied. I found drugs. I started smoking at nine years old, smoking cigarettes. I found drugs and alcohol probably around 13-ish, somewhere around in there. And fully embraced it because it was escape from me hating myself. It was a way for me to distance myself from people, but it was also, I don't know if, a, if it's a facade is the right word, but basically it was, it was my hard candy shell. Mm -hmm. I didn't want no one to come in and I looked like a little badass, like drinking in, you know, in the, in the school bathroom at 13 to 14, like where's my Jack Daniels? And kids kind of gave me a wide berth when I started doing shit like that. And I was showing up at class drunk. And doing the drugs and stuff, it started, like, people started leaving me alone a little bit. And so I embraced that. Going to 
get like going over to the other school. I got over there and like there's kids that were like violent. I just wanted to be left alone, really. Like that was my whole thing is just like just leave me the fuck alone. I just I've had it, you know, it, it's just I hated myself and I hated other people. And and so like doing like doing all that stuff was just like I was just drowned in, you know, I was just drowned in the feelings and building the wall. In that alternative school, you ended up getting kicked out of as well. Is that correct? I did. So that one, I went over there and I continued doing the drinking and stuff. But at the time, I'd, I'd run away probably a couple of times. And I was just a miserable kid in general. My parents are really great people. I love them very much. But I was an ass and showed up, you know what I'm saying? Like just showed up with an attitude and everything else and nothing they could do to fix that. Well, I like to ram the roads. I have been a freedom-based person since I was, gosh, since I was born. And so, like, I like to come and go as I please. I wanted to hang out with my friends. And I'd already, like, missed a bunch of school because of either running away or being locked up from being arrested or whatever it was. And they're just like, you miss another day and you're going to have a problem. Like, you're going to get kicked out. And my friend had was going to a party decided to go to the party, got in a physical altercation with my dad over wanting to leave, which I'm like 14. I had no, you know what I'm saying? Like, I would have whooped my ass. and my kids ever pull that shit on me? You know what I'm saying? Like, but uh, me and my dad had a physical altercation. Uh, my friend's dad came and picked me up, took us to the party, and sat down to the party, got, you know, hammered drunk, and because that's what I did. And missed school the next day. I showed up at maybe like 1.30 in the afternoon I could pry myself off the floor. And uh, they're just like, you're going to go and sit in the ISS, which is in-school suspension, sat in there. And they're like, come into the, before the end of the day, and they're like, we, you know, we've got to let you go. We can't have you in school if you're doing this. So they kicked me out in 10th grade. And I actually tried, I, I like, for my entire 10th grade year, I had half a credit for, like, both schools for the entire So I, you know, wasted the whole year there. But I wanted to go into... Like, my only thought, because my dad was military, like, so he was, worked for the army, and I'm like, I want them, you know, I want to go into the military. Like, that was what I thought was, like, the answer to, you know, I can get an education there, like, I can go, go shoot guns, I can, you know, like, go serve, I can get jacked up, and, you know what I'm saying? Like, I had, like I said, my dad was my hero, so I'm like, I want to, you know, I want to be like, come. And so, I was thinking, I'm going to the Air Force, and, like, you know, like, Ranger School, and cool shit, I called them and they're just like, yeah, you need a high school education. I'm like, well, that ruins that. I'm like, well, now what I'm supposed to do. So I spent a pretty aimless summer just being an ass and drinking and stuff. But I ended up going back to school. I, I don't know how I talked myself into it or if my mom talked them into it or how it happened. But I ended up back in 11th grade. And the thing is, at the time, I wanted auto mechanics. And that was part of the reason I was such an asshole in school is I wanted auto mechanics because the BOCES courses had auto mechanics and I went to them in like ninth to 10th grade. I'm like, what do I need to do to get into auto mechanics? And they're basically like, it's for the boys. Like, don't you think cosmetology or cooking would be better? No. He said, I still can't do my hair. <laughs> this is the extent, you know, it's the extent of me doing my hair. <laughs> I can braid it every now and then. Like I've learned to braid my hair. Yeah. I wanted auto mechanics. It's just, what I love, I love engines and motors and anything that goes fast. And you know what I'm saying? Like, just sign me up. Like, lawnmower races, like, I'm there. Like, I just love racing cars and motors. They were just, like, they were just totally sexist about it. So finally, like, 
like I hit that a lot because that was one of the reasons I'm like, I'm just like, screw you guys. Like, you're not going to get me what I want. I'm just going to be the bane of your existence. I'm an overachiever no matter what I do, right? If I'm being good, I'm being really good. If I'm being bad, like I'm even better. Yeah, 11th grade, I'm like, I wanted, I wanted the auto mechanics really bad. And they're like, finally, after like, you know, 80 times of being sexist with me, they're just like, get your shit together and we'll put you in auto mechanics next year, but you have to have these credits. And so I do believe this is how it went. <laughs> 11th grade, I got my shit together because I wanted auto mechanics and I'd do whatever it took. I got the highest grades in the school, three semesters running. I had the highest grades in a school, second, third, and fourth semester. Wow. Because I wanted the, I wanted the on mechanics. I'm capable. I'm a smart girl. Give me motivation, right? Because I'm just like, you're going to treat me like an asshole. I'm going to give you an asshole. Like that's just, yeah. you know, like the whole attitude. I got my crap together. I, you know, I was still partying, but I just, on a level where I'm like, I'm just going to go to school and handle my shit because I want that. And then in between 11th and 12th grade over the summer, I got pregnant for my oldest son. Also made me really, really reflect on, like I've got someone else responsible for now besides myself. I went back my senior year, got auto mechanics and brought my baby to school. That's awesome. What, how did having him change you? I still had the depression and I still like, well, I was pregnant, I behaved myself, but after I gave birth to him, I was still smoking weed on a daily basis. The drinking, occasionally, like I'd wait for him to go to bed and, and would party, but it was such a huge challenge. His dad was never there. Like I got pregnant and like it was a, a one night stand. You were what, 17, 16? I was 16 when I got pregnant. I was 17 when I had him. Because, you know, I was making wise decisions at that age. But, uh, yeah, the dad just was never there. And so I was physically, emotionally, and financially available or um, responsible for a human being mm-hmm. at 17 years old. And I wasn't even responsible enough to handle my own shit. I got a full Was it a full-time job? Jesus Christ. I got a full-time job my senior year. So I was going to school full-time. And I was working five days a week stocking shelves. And so, like, I would leave school. I'd have my son with me in school because I was already at the school where they had a daycare program. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I'd bring him in in the morning. We'd have breakfast together. We'd have lunch together. And then well, my mom would come pick me up after school, and they would drive me to the grocery store. They would watch my son while I worked until 11 o'clock at night and then start all over again the next day. Do you ever look back and wonder how you did it? Yes. <laughs> Yes. And I want to address this because yes, I do. <laughs> because you're you're being very open and vulnerable about these things and being a, a parent now and you're a parent when a child acts a certain way society judges the parent. Oh yeah. And and I want to totally fair. <laughs> I want to give some space and talk a little bit about your parents. I don't want anything unjustly to be put out there and people make assumptions. And I know this interview is about you and part of you is your childhood and your parents. You sounded like a hellion. (laughs) If you think about it, Barbie, and, and how many children do you have? I have two boys. Two boys. If you had a girl and the girl did what you did, right, as a parent, 
Is there anything that you want to say about your parents so that the audience understands? As a parent, I'm sitting there thinking, it's like, shit, I w-. it's like, oh my God, I don't know what I would do. Like, there's me and thinking of my childhood self that wants this freedom. And then there's me as a parent right now sitting there thinking, my God, I don't, I don't know how to help my child. Because you had mentioned just once depression. And I, I don't want to make an assumption, but when you were, this is a question, when you were in high school, did you suffer from depression during that time? Looking back, I had depression from a really young age. I think long before I hit high school, actually. Starting off with my parents, my parents are amazing human beings. They actually tried for 10 years to have me and were told by several doctors that they couldn't have kids. And my mom didn't give up and my dad didn't give up. And 10 years later, after going through surgeries and everything else, natural, you know, naturally had a baby. Guess who shows up? You know, surprise! <laughs> the worst surprise. Like, and it's just like I feel like the worst kid in the world. I, you know, we both did, or we all did the very best we could with what we had. So growing up, my parents wanted to give me the most amazing life ever. My parents read all like the Doctor Spock books. My mom ended up becoming a vegetarian because she read that like the food and that like before it was cool, right? So I was born in '76. Just to put it out there, I'm 44 years old. My mom did homeschooling before it was cool. My mom did uh, what's it called, like composting, and just like she's just like so like you know, little house in the prairie. My mom made my clothes for me, like sewed it, like. Everything that you could think of that a parent that loves a child would do, and like some stuff that, like, I love my kids. I want so close. I'm with you. And I was saying, like, here, here's, here's my jeans. You know what I'm saying? Like, I can't even, like, keep a whole pair of jeans on. But with love and with the most beautiful and purest intentions, my parents just did all these things to honor their children and give their children the best possible life ever. Okay, so here's like this, you know, like on a pedestal, right? And then here comes this literally like this feral little girl that like, you can't keep shirt on me. You can't keep shoes on me. I want to play in the woods. I just am literally like literally came out like a feral little wolf. I need freedom and I don't understand it. It's just like such a just, I, I like I said, I wish I had better words for it, but like I did, it came out of like, came out of the womb like Braveheart, like screaming freedom. Like, I just need to roam the woods and play. And, you know, my mom and dad are... Barbie, you need to make a little cartoon of yourself. <laughs> oh, God. Little, little wild Helen. Like, have you guys ever seen the book Where the Wild Things Are? Like, I'm Max. Like, that's me. I'm Alice in Wonderland, and I'm Max from Where the Wild Things Are. Like, this is just who I am. And it's no one's fault. It's just... It's a, it's a shuffle of the deck is, you know, of, of who you get for parents and who you get for a kid. And just like their need to protect me was the last thing in the world that I want. Like at five years old, I ran away for the first time with my little red wagon filled with underwear and a stuffed doll because I'm just like, like at five years old. And listen, there's never been any malice on my part. It's just like, this is just who I am. And they just wanted to you know, protect me. And so, like, it started out with they give me my haircuts, and like, the kids in the neighborhood came from. We literally lived next door to the principal of the school. 
And then like, we were in a teacher neighborhood. But here's my mom, like, I want to give my kid the best education and wants to homeschool me. I want to protect them from the big bad world. And everyone saw me as a freak. She gets her hair cut, you know, at home. Her mom makes her clothes. Like, everything that my mom and dad wanted to do, these kids look at it and they're like, what the fuck is wrong with this girl? I didn't get invited to any of the, you know, the neighborhood kids' parties. And I just wanted to go to a kid's, you know, birthday party. I wanted to be part of, like, as a young kid, I just wanted to fit in. I wanted to go out and play, and my parents just kept me separated. So I had, like, zero social skills, plus the bowl cut. You know, like, I mean, literally, I've got pictures. I had a mullet, Barbie. (laughs) Oh, man, I rocked the mullet. It was bad. My fifth grade. I had the mullet perm in fifth grade. I got pictures of the Oh, yeah, you got the perm? Oh, Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We we all have that elementary school picture that is glorious. Oh, man. Oh, it is. Glorious is such a great word for it. The mullet's coming back on Washington. I'm not going to rock that. I'm just going to stay right around there. I love my hair. But, yeah, like, my, my childhood, like, my parents had the just best, purest, like, just, just so pure intentions. And just me naturally being me, I'm just like, I just, like I said, I was born feral. Is it like oil and water? We just did mix. And it was just like, I know they loved me and I know I loved them. And yeah, they got judged harshly. Yeah. I'm sure the neighborhood probably tore them a new asshole too, you know? It's just, but I was in my own little world of just like, you know, I did get to go to school in fifth grade. And, like, the kids were just so mean. And, like, you know, like I said, I had zero social skills because I was just, I got to see my cousins and I got to see, you know, my family. But it was, like, so rare to see my cousins. So, like, just, like, when I finally did hit school, they ended up moving us um, halfway through fifth grade for me. So I was 10. They moved me up to another school. And within, like, I don't know, within, like, two weeks of going to that school, I catch lice from whoever. And, like, then I was, like, you know, to solve that, my mom just buzzes my hair. I'm, like, fuck's sake. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh my I'm just going to do drugs. And just hot, you know, and I just, like, that was the answer. Like, but I was depressed because of what's our first human need, and that's to fit in. And I just mm-hmm. didn't, right? It was the bane of my existence. Working with my hands in my shop, like, that was my escape, right? Because, like, my mom was riding my ass for stuff. And I get it, like, as a parent now. Dude, they should have put bigger boots on and stomped the mud hole in my ass, which they tried. It said, God, I think it was like 12 or 13 the first time I ran away. And it's just like there wasn't even any malice behind it. Again, it was just like, you guys are putting your thumb on me, man. I just need some freedom. Like 8 o'clock bedtime for a 12-year-old. you know, twelve year old. I'm like, I, you know, whatever grade I was in, I'm just like, dude, I can't, you know, I can't do this. I just need to go. I just... I can't have you ride my ass. I'm so sick and tired of you telling me, you know, like it was, it was a perfect storm of like my, my kids can't get away with shit because I know, like I used to sneak out of my bedroom window and like go down to my friend's house, you know? You're like, you cannot trick the tricksters kids. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? Like both times I got pregnant, I'm like, boy, 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 boy. Cause it's just like, I knew who I was. And I was like, there's no way I'm like, I'd kill a girl. Like, you know what I'm saying? But it was just like, you know, looking back, I, I'm so grateful for my boys. A little girl would have been pretty amazing, right? Because like still toes and jeans, and I would have taught her to be a tough girl and maybe like making shit in the garage, right? Yeah, yeah. 
yeah, both my boys turned out really, really good. Even though, like I said, my I was I was 16 when I got pregnant for my oldest son. Oh, he's 27 today, man. Just turned 27 at the beginning of this month. Best thing that's ever happened to me is be a parent, mm. right? It, it slowed me down. Not all the way, right? Because it took me, God, it was like eight or nine when I really started getting my shit together. I went through some really bad shit when he was a kid. And he went through all this stuff with me. Figured, you know, his dad wasn't around. And this young man, we basically grew up together. It was my best friend who never had to go home. Wow. Which finally, you know what I'm saying? Like, unconditional love for the first time in a long time. I felt unconditional love when I had him. So he was like my savior for a long time. But because I was so mature, like, really raised him as my best friend. And so, like, I wasn't strict. Like, I mean, like, yeah, he had a lot of responsibilities. You know, at five years old, like, I taught him to do his laundry, which he started at three. But at five, he was completely responsible for his laundry. Because I'm like, here's a deal, dude. Like, I've got to work. i got to, you know, I've got to do this. So I've got to handle the bills. Like, you you handle your stuff. I'll handle my stuff. And we're going to have a lot more time together if you do it. But, like, made it fun. So, like, he was very responsible at a young age. But he'd also be, like, at five years old, he's like, hey, can I say shit? I'm like, not in front of Graham and Grandpa. <laughs> So we, we walked that line. You you mentioned depression. Do you still struggle with depression? How did you work your way through that? Because there's there's going to be listeners where it's like, I feel this now. And it just feels hopeless. And I feel helpless. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. Because when people look at your stuff now, Barbie, there are tons of people that I'm sure are are so impressed, maybe jealous, maybe envious, where it's like, oh, my God, she's doing all of these things, getting to work with her hands. But all of it's a journey, and people oftentimes just see the end result and not the struggle. And that's why I respect, and that's why I'm spending more time on this, because any of the listeners can go to your social social media page, Facebook, you name it, read your book, all of these things and see where you are at now. But what what I want people to understand is that there is struggle. Every journey has a struggle and there is no shame in it. Yeah. yeah, if you look at my social media now, my life is a sizzle reel. It's very surreal. But like you said, it was struggle. I didn't know that I was depressed until I was hospitalized or... I'm going to say my drug addiction. I turned myself in to a couple of friends who I had take me to the hospital because I was so deep into cocaine that um, I was hearing voices. Um, that's a good story. Um, but once I got into the hospital, and like I said, I don't know the exact timeline that this is. I don't know how long I was in the hospital for, but sometime during my stay there, and I'm – going to go on the hard side of assumption and say it was definitely a couple months, but I can't remember exactly how. I feel like at some point I need to just get hospital records and look and see how long it is. I don't know if they would give them to me, but whatever. I was actually in the BSU, the Behavioral Science Unit. When they went to sober me up, they had to put me in like this lockdown section because I was really messed up, and that's an understatement. I couldn't write my name. Was this before or after your son was born? 
Yeah, he was six years old. Got it. He was six years old. And at a point, I'd actually, um, and this is actually before I got into cocaine, I was just doing weed. Got long story longer. Broke up with my husband, who was violent against my son. I left him that day. I said, no more. Went to my mom and dad's house and said, we need to move in. We cannot live with my husband anymore because he's violent towards my son. She told me, he can live here and you can't. And I don't, I don't know why. I still to this day don't know why. I have no clue. Have you ever asked her? I can't remember if I have or not. It just doesn't make any sense to me, right? I, her and I butted heads a lot. Mm-hmm. I love her with all my heart. She's an amazing human being. But we haven't always seen eye to eye. I'm not exactly sure why, but damn, if my kid came to my door and said that, they'd be living here without even thinking. But we're also two different people. And we're two different parents, right? I'm sorry, Barbie. I'm just curious. You said that your ex-husband was violent towards your six-year-old son? Yes. He kicked him like a football. And so I left. That was the first and only time that he went and put hands on him like that and what? There was no like, hey, let's try to work it out. I said, I'm fucking out of here. Locked myself in the bathroom until I can get him off of me. And then we moved out that day. I, I, I had to back up on that when I, when I heard that because I, <laughs> you just continue to impress me. And, and that's, there's something to be said for that, right? That is an abusive relationship. And to not make an exception, I want to give you kudos for this, because when your willingness to open up and share this stuff, even though you were in the space that you were in, as a parent, you always, you didn't allow any exception for your son, meaning as it relates to protecting him. And kudos for you. True on that, and I appreciate it very much, but the next part of the story is me leaving my son at my mom and dad's house because I knew I couldn't take care of him, and so, like, I feel like, oh, I'm trying not to, oh, it was, I don't know, I tried living with him in my car for a couple days, but knew he needed to be in school, and leaving it at my mom and dad's was, I, I when I left my husband, I didn't have any, I didn't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of. I threw our stuff in our truck and left. Um, so I wasn't in a position financially to get us an apartment or even anything else. So like leaving him at my mom's after a couple of days was what I felt was what the best thing was, which it is what it is. Hate myself for it, like fucking hated myself for it because I wasn't smarter about finances. I didn't think about having money set aside. I didn't, you know, and like here, like I'm his only parent that's in his life and I leave him with grandma and grandpa and all of a sudden now his mom's gone. Scumbaggery of all scumbaggery. But it is part of who I am. It's part of his and my story. We couldn't have a better relationship today and like it took me months to get him back after that. And Leaving him there and the guilt behind, A, a marriage not working, and then B, not being able to provide for my son is what left, led me to the cocaine abuse. My um, thought was... Your husband that you left was not his biological father, is that correct? 
He was not his biological okay. father. No, I, I had him before I'm. <laughs> Well, I've had him before I got married. Okay. And that's ultimately what started the guilt around that is what started the cocaine abuse. Yes. I looked at the coke as a means to an end. My goal, my brilliant fucking thinking in all of this was I'm going to buy coke and I'm going to sell it because I had a little bit of money. So I was like, I can buy it. I can sell it. I can make enough money quickly and then be able to get a place for me and my kid. And it didn't work out like that. I broke cardinal rule number one of selling drugs and that's don't get high in your own supply. I sold a little bit of it. I did some bartering for it, but I really enjoyed it. And so I got into it really freaking heavy and like every penny I'd make with it, I'd turn around and I'd get more. And in the back of my head, I'm like, yeah, I will go and sell this. But it just never turned out like that. And so I just I did that. My friend had, um, like, where I was living, like, I ended up living in the woods. My buddy of mine had weed. My other friend had liquid acid. And I had the Coke. And the three of us just kind of hung out in the woods. And people would come and see us and buy shit sometimes. But mostly, it'd be the three of us living in the woods and just getting messed up. How long did your son stay at your folks' house then? There's this period of time, and then you said there was, you got to the point where you checked yourself in for rehab. And you th think maybe it was a couple months in there? or Yeah, I think a couple of months. Yeah, it was definitely, oh, man. It was warm. So I'm going to guess, like, because he was still in school, so I'm going to guess, like, May or June-ish. Because he was, like I said, he was still in school, but it was warm enough for us to be outside. And this is upstate New York. So I'm going to say it was, like, May or June. And then he was in school when I got him back. And I'm going to say that was, like, early fall. So there's a good six month period. So between like give or take about a good five or six month period between the time I started the Coke, got into it so heavily, which like I said, I was doing other stuff as well. I was doing the acid. I was, I've been smoking weed pretty much since I can remember, probably since I was like 13 and drinking since around then. So I get, you know, all that, but like then the Coke and the acid on top of all the stuff that I was doing. And this wasn't just like, oh, tonight's Coke. And tomorrow, it was just like everything at once. Mm -hmm. Hated who I was. Hated the fact that I left my son. Hated that I didn't have a way to make money. I did, but I screwed that one up. Just depression on top of all that other stuff. And then adding, you know, adding the drugs on top of the depression, adding that. And just basically sat out in the woods and felt real fucking sorry for myself for a while and barely survived. Like, just barely survived that. Have, have you and your son ever talked about any of that? Yeah. I'm very open with him about that. Um, we have an amazing relationship today. He is actually... One of the main reasons I'm still a full-time artist, because even, I don't know, I don't always make the best decisions. <laughs> so probably like four, four years ago, so about a, 
a year, year and a half into being a full-time artist, four and a half, somewhere around in there, I got in a relationship with a guy who used me for my money. He saw it. He saw me cashing in my money for my work. He saw that I had a nice chunk of money and used me and then beat me up when it was done using me for my money. And if it wasn't for my son taking me in, I wouldn't have my business, but literally just like took me in. Yeah, four and a half years ago. So I'm much better today. I stayed single for a long freaking time after that. But now when you say he beat you up, like literally physically roughed you up? Picked me up and put me into a windshield of a car. Wh- why? Um, he was done using me. My money was gone. And that was his way of getting rid of me. Jesus. That's the first time I talked about that one. Yeah, low self-esteem is a bitch. Even though I like, got through all the drug addiction and everything else. up And, and that, was a, that was a pivotal moment for me. So I've had quite a few pivotal moments in my life. Um, still was dealing with self-esteem problems. Like I said, this is, I was about doing math. Because it was like probably like six months after being a full-time artist. So... We're talking 2015, like spring, spring of 2015, right? So I was about six months or so about being a full-time artist. The job I'd left, I actually was dating a guy from there uh, when I went full-time, but he was, oh man, I'm trying to think of the right word. He saw it, right? I had low self-esteem. I, I, you know, I was in my welding. I'd you know, gotten better with the welding. Welding could definitely help, but I still was suffering from low self-esteem. And because of my childhood, because of all that I went through, I just always wanted to be loved, wanted to be, you know, wanted to fit in, wanted to be. And so I took that into relationships. I had bad relationship after bad relationship after bad relationship, and he was no different. Saw that I cashed in my money and had dollar signs in his eyes and played me like a fiddle. Looking back, I had like all these signs that like he didn't give a flying rant to ask about me. But my need to be loved was so great that I ignored all these things. And he pretty much took a large chunk. And this, like I said, I've never even talked about this. Took a large chunk of the money that I had saved for my business. And he's like, you can move in with me, help me pay for this apartment above like we're going to make this apartment above my garage i have a two-car garage you can rent your house out to your son and then your mortgage is covered there you can have a bigger place to work in and we'll have an apartment together and so hook line and sinker that's exactly what i did is i rented my house out to my son and his then girlfriend moved my younger son with me up to another town another school district put my son in another school Physically helped him build his apartment above his garage. And pretty much when it was done, he uh, he had enough and just like literally picked me up and put me into the windshield of a car. And there was, like I said, there was signs like we, you know, we bickered back and forth. There was definitely some aggro verbal confrontations that we'd had. I split up with him twice and like both times he came back to me like crying and was just like, I'm so sorry. And, you know, and I just such a fucking sucker. And like I said, not a sucker, just, I just wanted to believe him so bad. I just wanted to be loved. So like after that relationship, I'm just like, like I said, my son 
welcoming back. And, and like I said, I was renting it out to them. Like, he's like, you just, you live here. There's no questions. You know, he's like, this is your house. You live here and we'll just, we'll work it out. And like, we've all been together ever since. Like, we just, we like it this way. Like, just keep our family real close. But had it not been for him, I would have lost everything. He helped me with my bills. You know, like help me get back on my feet and help me pay the mortgage of my house so I wouldn't lose that. But yeah, I stayed single for a while and my new rule was one and done. Like if I break up with someone, I'll never, ever go back out with them again. You just don't. And I've gotten farther I've gone, I guess, in between my business and my relationships, I've learned patience. I've also learned to watch people really closely. And if there's any sign whatsoever of aggression or like nasty attitude you're gone like I don't play around with it so I've been single for quite a while I did date someone I think six months ago for a short time but like quickly was just like yeah like I was good until it wasn't as soon as it wasn't done I'll happily stay single for a while I just gotta make sure that I know now because I love myself and I didn't before and so it was easy to fall into traps I'm gonna call them traps how did you fall in love with yourself how did you get there? Um, staying single. There's something to be said for that. When my ex and I separated, I spent three years single. And it's figuring out who you are and falling in love with yourself. It's, it's owning it. When we, when we say falling in love with ourselves, like it's associated with selfishness. But it's not. It's the opposite of it, actually, because you can't give what you don't have. So if someone wants me to be healthy and whole in a relationship, I need to love and respect myself before I can give that to anyone else. And if I'm going to go into a relationship, I want love and respect. And that's what I, and I, I tell my business partners, anyone I get into business with, it's just like, this is a win-win or it doesn't happen. Same thing with a podcast, same thing with anything I do. If it's not a win-win, I'm not involved. I actually had a company. I had a company reach out to me two years ago that wanted to sponsor me. They sent me product. They're a phenomenal company. Like, really, truly love them. But decided after, I think, six months, I'm like, I can't do you guys justice. Like, And they're the ones that are like, we want to. I'm like, I just, I can't promote your product naturally in a way that, like, I respect the product. But it just wasn't that, like, I didn't feel like I was giving as much as I was getting. And so I respectfully backed out of that. And like they were appreciative of the fact that I'm just like I, you know if I can't if I can't give you what I'm telling you like I can't you know my my business is so good today is because of that because mm-hmm. that's how I do all my like whether it's someone that's buying my art or buying a book like if you're not getting the value then I'll happily give you your money back you know what I'm saying like if it's not a win win I'm not involved. So would you say the last four like five years is when you really exploded? As far as my business, yeah. Yes. And in the beginning, with all due respect, and it is what it is, it was fuck you fuel in the beginning. That guy that beat me up, part of my need to grow my business was fuck you, I'll show you Mm -hmm. what you're missing out on. And you should have treated me better. And look at what you got. (laughs) Look at what you're missing. It's not healthy. That's a great phrase. Fuck you fuel. (laughs) It's fuck you fuel. I feel like that's going to be the title of my next book. It, It really should, Barbie. (laughs) <laughs> there's a power in that it's using no and it's using anyone that's ever like i have a grocery list of 
men that have treated me so disrespectfully. Now, and listen here, we're going to full disclosure. I attracted them into my life. So therefore, if you're attracting people in your life that are negative, you need to look at yourself because you can't get what you I'm saying, and I know people hate to hear that, but it's just like, I really had to take a look at my life. No, I got you. What is it about you, darling, that you are attracting these kind of people in your life? Like, we need to talk about this. <laughs> you know, yes. We need a big conversation. <laughs> I told you. No. But, you know, it's like, and like being honest, like, right? My honesty was my salvation. Because when I was willing to have like these deeply honest conversations with myself, why are you attracted to a man that's going to treat you like this? Like, what have you been doing? What have you been thinking? That was where my superpower was. Now, for a long time, I'm attracting these people in my life. So I realized, like, you know, what really helped me tremendously, actually, was um, I went out to a build with Bogey from All Girls Garage. She did this frame-up restoration of a 57 Chevy pickup truck. She had, like, this hairbrain scheme to bring women from all over the country together to have this build. The montage. The montage. I was so freaking blessed to be a part of that. I basically hounded her and Miller until I got someone. And I was like, I need to be involved in this because my background in on mechanics. I went out there and I spent a month living in her garage. And it's a really nice garage. So I'm not, it's not, you know, I'm like, oh, my God. I'm like, no, I got the bunk house. The yeah, off. yeah. The happy side blessing, because I went out there to help build a truck and to go back into the automotive industry on my terms and leave on my terms um, instead of how I how I ended up leaving, which was sexism and frustration. I wanted to go back in, but the blessing of that was I spent a month with Bogey uh, side by side working you know, 16 and 18 hour days, pretty much seven days a week on this for a month that she mentored me. And I don't know if she realized at the time she was mentoring me, but this woman blessed me with so many pearls of wisdom. And one of my favorite things was she, I asked her, I'm like, how are you, you know, how did you go from this woman built her business, this entire, like, just her, her legacy, like from her driveway for two years, she worked in her driveway. Like I complain about how small my shop is. She worked in her driveway. I'm like, how did you do that? Like, how did you, how are you building this empire that you're building? And she says, self-help. She says, I went and got, um, she said, I went and I paid for courses to improve myself. And I'm like, okay, like, ta-da. So I already, God, was I already reading the books? Again, my timeline. I believe I'd already started reading a couple of self-help books. Do you remember what they were? Yes, I still have them all. <laughs> Um, I have a library. I'm an avid reader. I highly, highly advocate reading. And if you don't like to read or if you're not good at reading, audiobooks, I love Audible. They're not paying me, but damn, I'm all about it. Audible, and if you can't do Audible, then go on and look at the videos because they literally have one of my favorite things on YouTube are animated book reviews. And you can get like a 200-page book like knock down to six minutes with little cartoons and they'll tell you the story of the book and it's the key point. Oh, wow. Run that. I'm telling you, like, audible. And if you guys want the links, like, let me know. I'll happily send you links to my favorites. I, I may hit you up with that, Barbie, because I'm, I'm curious. Oh, man. I have, an, I have a library of books. Like, I have a core, probably like 12, that I can't get rid of and I literally again and again and again 
because it's just so, they're just so amazing. I actually just, uh, Silence is a Key by Ryan Holiday. Ryan Holiday is my probably my newest favorite author, but between him and Robert Greene are my two favorites. But the first book that I read and the one that really just started everything on my journey for self-improvement was Secrets to the Millionaire Mind. Mm, that's a good one. He Harv Ecker. So I actually got the book and had to borrow the 50 cents for the book from my mom at the library book sale because that's where I was in my artistic journey was borrowing 50 cents for a book. I actually borrowed a dollar. I got two books at that book sale. The other one's called Rhinoceros Success by Scott Alexander. That one's a brilliant book because it uses analogies and I'm all about like, I'm a visual, mm -hmm. visual learner. And so they've got adorable cartoons. So I'm actually friends with the author today of a book that I bought at the library book sale. Literally, it's just amazing. I'm the most amazing life. I got the secrets of the millionaire mind because I want to be a millionaire. Like this is one of my goals. Like when I got into art, it was to make art. It Like that's it. I had no idea that there's money in art. I was shocked when I found out how much money there is in being an artist, like no kidding. But the purity of it, it was, I got in it to make art, but I do want to be a millionaire someday, right? It's freedom. Yep. The money is a freedom because it, it gets you experiences and adventures and opportunities. And that's where, like, I want to give my kids like an adventurous life. So I pick up this book. I start reading it and there's like this ticket in it and there's like physically a ticket. And it's like, you can get this free $2,000 seminar. And so, but you have to pay for your plane ticket and your hotel, right? And so, like, I read the book several times. And, like, every time I read it, I'm like, here's a ticket, and someday I'm going to go to this seminar. Well, after talking with Bogey, Bogey's like, I did seminars. She's like, I didn't have the money for it, but I got a mentor, and I did seminars. I'm like, okay. I go back home, and I read the book again, and I'm like, oh, like you, you've got to do it, right? And it's a free seminar, like I said. So I went and... My whole purpose for that was to change my money mentality because I have, in the past, had a welfare mentality for how I grew up. Um, money doesn't grow on trees. Uh, who do I look like? Rockefeller, you know. Like, oh, yeah. Uh, rich people are greedy. Like, I grew up with all these, like, taboo things around money. Uh, my parents are super frugal. Like, if my mom holds a penny, like, Lincoln's eyes bug out. <laughs> who she is. I love her for who she is. But I want to be a millionaire. I want a chef. I want five different vehicles. Like I want my mud truck and I want my lifted Jeep and I want to build my motorcycle. You know I'm saying like, and I want my dream shop. And, you know, now like I want all these things. I want to be able to travel the world and I want money to be no object when I do it. And I want to take my whole family. You know what I'm saying? Like I want to buy art from all the artists. I want to fill my home, you know? So it's like money for me is freedom. Again, it goes back to my, yes. my freedom. So, I went and took these courses in with the mindset of I want to raise my money mentality because you can't be an artist and have this welfare mentality. It's not right because I, you know, I just didn't honor my art for a long time, like valuing it. I did it to get this money mentality, but come to find out the courses that they end up selling me $12,000 and it was worth every penny and so much more which I couldn't afford, right? They gave me a payment plan and I still struggled deeply every time to pay for it. But I invested 12 grand in these courses because I saw the truth immediately when I went. 
to the free course where they sell stuff. And I, I love it, right? I love salesmen. It's not about getting money. It's about serving people. I bought the courses with the intention of making money and learned that their entire course is focused on service. And that's how you win at life. And that's how you actually become a millionaire is you need to serve people with integrity. Just changed everything, right? I literally just like fell into this most just beautiful thing. And so I left with a mission, you know, like a year and a half and all these courses later, I walked on fire. Oh, some of the stuff I did was just incredible. They were amazing courses, like highly, highly recommended. But I left with the mission and that's to inspire people to thrive emotionally and financially. And that's with me through art, but it also now has become now that with um, the other podcasts I did, the mental health has now become something that is going to be on my mission. And it's just something I never even thought about Mm -hmm. literally until like, you know, like I know what I've done. I know that I'm, I'm a unicorn. And the fact that I went through the depression And when I say depression, we're talking just severe depression. We're talking strapped to a gurney in a straitjacket, one flew over the cuckoo's nest, Thorazine shot in my ass, depression and anger and being locked up and told I would never, ever get out of the psych center to today I'm living a life that is beyond my wildest dreams, that I have made sculptures for Harley Davidson, that I literally, like, I choose what I do every day and I don't do anything I don't want to. I am here with you because I want to be here with you. And if I didn't want to, I just say happily no. Like, I'm honored that you would ask, but, you know, I just don't have time. You know, like, I say no to everything I don't want to do with the sculptures I'm making. Like, I make exactly what I want and nothing else. I'm turning down so many commissions right now because they're not in alignment with the, the creatures and characters that I want to create that are just feeding my soul. But knowing that gone through this journey to go from like absolutely like opposite ends of the spectrum from absolutely, like I cannot imagine being any more miserable to I can't imagine being any more happy. Literally like just the other day, I'm like, you know what? Like I, I know this story was coming out. You know, I knew that I would do that podcast. We planned it four months, I think it was. But as soon as it came out, And I got the reactions that I got from people, which is so supportive. And I was shocked. Um, I actually thought I was going to lose a lot of people. And it turned out way different than I expected. Seeing the reaction and how many other people said welding has also saved my life. It immediately became apparent that this needs to be part of my mission. And this is how I'm going to help people thrive emotionally and financially, which just literally feel like I just thought like just by bringing people into the welding industry and showing people like skilled trades and working with your hands gives you so much more than money. It's even bigger than that, isn't it? It really is. It really is. It just had no, you know, like everything happens for a reason. They contacted me for a reason. And just like, you know, just like all these things, like just been blessed beyond my wildest beliefs, but just like, and I've got a good imagination. It's just like beyond anything I could ever imagine. But to be able to explain, like, I know how now that I've gone from the depression to where I am today, from negative relationships to, like, I only accept the best. Like, I only accept the best of my relationships. Anything less is unacceptable. I don't let anyone else in my life that is, like, I don't get treated with disrespect. I don't put myself in places where I get treated with disrespect. And if I start dating someone and see something, like, I'm ghost. I kick rocks and I'm okay with that because I love being single because 
I love myself. I love being around myself. And God, if you had told me that five years ago, I would have believed you. Just an amazing story. And again, I know we haven't spent a lot of time on welding per se, and you summarized it just a moment. You are so well documented in that space, Barbie. And I mean, <laughs> truly, you know, that that's if you go to your social platform, that's what you see. And what I was really hoping to get and what this shines through in this interview is that it's so much more than that. And ladies, if you are struggling right now, depression is that silent killer, right? It's it's silent and, and it's so taboo. No one wants to talk about it. No one. But it's... Yeah, email me. I'll talk to you about it. <laughs> it's everywhere though, right? And you talk, and it's not just depression, it's mental health, period. There is so much taboo. Yeah. I... When I told my folks that, you know, I was just diagnosed last year uh, with ADHD, that I have ADHD, and I shared it with my folks, and my the only reaction was, oh, really? Neither of them has said a single word about it since. Nothing. Like It was like I didn't even say it. Through your story, Barbie... Also, my willingness to share about ADHD, it, adults do have it. <laughs> Majority of adults, it was just undiagnosed, is that there is no shame around it. There is no shame around it. We all experience it. And when you look on social media, this fairy tale life that you, that you have right now, Barbie, is that it wasn't always fairy tale. And that it, the struggle is there. And it's okay, and you're not alone. You're not alone. I think that's a message that so many people need to hear, and that's why my willingness to come out and talk about my mental health. Like, and listen, I, I'm not going to recommend anyone do anything without a doctor's whatever, but I don't take medicine. I haven't. They told me I'd never get off of medicine, and I haven't taken medicine in, I'm going to, venture a guess at like 16-ish, 17 years. And like I said, I still was making poor choices. <laughs> but then like that's a self-esteem thing. That wasn't a depression thing. I have to watch myself. I caught myself the other day, like literally after I made that post, I freaked like the post I made Friday about my mental health, freaked out a little bit Friday. And I don't mean freaked out. I mean, just like, I'm, I'm fucking scared. It was scary to do that. That is every one of my skeletons. Hey, look at me naked. Like here's like here's literally like you know. And so it was a it was a freaky thing. I needed to go hang out in the woods and spend some time with my friends and get away from my house. I didn't work Friday. I had planned on it. I was just like you know what I just. But I know now, and I think having the honesty with yourself. Now I'll speak for myself. I don't want to. I'm not putting it on anyone else. But like honesty with myself. So if I feel frustrated or if I feel like I'm getting depressed, I know I need to change my music. I can put on a different playlist on my music and it'll help my mood. If I'm feeling, you know, like I said, I was scared the other day. It was just such a, you know, ballsy. It was a ballsy move. Like I know it needs to be talked about. I know it's the right thing to do. It was scary as fuck to put that out there and to 
So I, I just, I really get like, I'm wringing my hands. It's not like, right. So like, I will, I'll feel a little bit of anxiety about stuff. And I know what I feel. I'm like, okay, you're like, go drink some chamomile tea, Barbie. It'll help. But I know like I have stuff in place today that I know, like I have a happy go lucky playlist that you can't tap your, you know, can't not like dance to like, it's just the um, super, super awesome mix volume too. I was saying like, put, put it on your, put it on your playlist, get, you know, um, Bob Marley, no worries. Like I can play that song and I literally just want to dance it out my shop. It just being honest about like, if I know that certain situations bum me out, then stay out of them. If there is like, like art, even if you don't feel like you're creative whatsoever, take a lump, of, take a 10 pound thing of clay and, and squeeze it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's cathartic. Even if you can only, even if you can only roll that clay into a ball, that's it's cathartic. You've made a shape. Make a giant, make a giant dip. Whatever you know, what I'm saying like, whatever you know. What I'm saying? <laughs> oh my gosh, you're welcome. You're welcome, world. <laughs> you know, what I'm saying? like sculpt it into something. Um, if you can draw, like draw. If you can't draw, but you like to color, get some coloring pencils and get it like get a, get the coloring book with swear words in it. Those exist, right? Find some kind of outlet. Find something to focus on because I can give you my experience. When I focused on how awful my life was, you're literally pouring energy into that thought, which is just snowballing. And it's just, you know, then you feel bad for feeling bad. And then you're like, oh, you know, my life is good. I shouldn't feel bad. Oh, I feel awful for feeling bad. And like, there's people that have it worse. You shouldn't feel, you know, all that shit right there. When you're focused on all that, it literally downward spirals. If you're not feeling good, if you're not feeling happy, if you're not feeling, find some kind of creative outlet. For me, it's been art. Like I said, well, I haven't said in this interview, but I literally, I had zero artistic talent when I decided to be a metal sculptor. It's just what I decided to do. And I figured it all out. Wow. Zero. There was nothing. My handwriting is still freaking egregious. My, you know, I'm learning to draw. I've got like drawings on my, I know you can't see it for you. I got drawings on my bench. Like I'm learning to Sharpie draw. I'm good with Sharpie. I can write my name on people's faces when they're passed out. Like that's my, you know, <laughs> I mean, you know, I've always been good with a Sharpie. Like just, there was no creative talent whatsoever. So if it's something like Hobby Lobby, like it's like 10 bucks for like this 10 pound thing of clay or go get Play-Doh. It tastes delicious. Don't eat Play-Doh. <laughs> <laughs> you know like, my kid hit kindergarten. I'm like, this is awesome. I can eat Play-Doh again. <laughs> oh my gosh. But you know what I'm saying? Like find some kind of creative outlet. Go and buy a two by four and a box of nails and a hammer and just literally just hammer this shit out of the nails into the two by four. Find a way to do something that is not sitting in the house and feeling bad for yourself. When you focus on something that is outside of yourself, regardless of what it is, then your energy is going to that. So I mean, like if you're focusing on your neighbor's a bitch, then that's what you're going to get. But if you focus on, I'm just going to nail these. I'm going to try to make them, you know, make them on the same height and nail these. It's you're focusing on something outside of yourself. That's sound advice, my friend. It's inspiration here. And I tell you what, this probably is a good time to launch into the red line round because some of what you're talking about goes right into the red line where you'll be able to just knock this out of the park what the red line round is, is it's just five rapid fire questions. There's no right or wrong answer to them. Whatever pops into your head's the right answer. And you actually just teed the first one up and kind of shared it. Um, who or what has been your inspiration throughout your journey in the industry? 
Oh, gosh. Jessie Combs was my first as far as a woman that is just shattering glass ceilings. Yeah. Um, I got to meet her in 2017. Just fucking immediately loved her. She's like, everything, you know, you, you meet, you have a hero, and you're just like, oh, my gosh, I would love to meet your hero. And then you hear people that meet their heroes, and their heroes are assholes. <laughs> In person, I met her, and she's just so deeply humbled. Like, she knew who I was. Like, I'm fangirling on her. And she's like, Barbie. I'm like, what? what? You know, she's just <laughs> so down to earth and just so badass and just, oh, man, just absolutely deeply admired just everything about her. And meeting Bogey, same thing, man. Just, like, I fangirled on Bogey, and Bogey was totally just so down to earth, like, immediately best friends with her. You know, and just like the, the work ethic on both of them, the the drive, the like the just shattering opening the industry up for women, showing women that yes, like we can do it. It doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. If you want to, you know, be a mechanic, you can. If you want to be a welder, you can. Anyone can do it. Absolutely. So those I say those two definitely my heroes. Awesome. Barbie, where do you go or what resources do you use when you want to learn something new or you get stuck? First and foremost is probably YouTube. If I'm trying to figure out, like, if my social media isn't doing well, what's going on? And I look for new algorithms and stuff. So I look to look to YouTube a lot. I'm YouTube smart. When it comes to self-improvement, I dive into books. Right now, my favorite, favorite author is Ryan Holiday. He has written three of what I think are probably the best books that ever existed. And that is the obstacle is the way is number one on my list. Like if you don't read anything else, read the obstacle is a way. Um, Silence is a key, which is the one I just finished uh, today. I've read it like several times. Um, audio, I audio book. Like if I drive anywhere, I usually have got an audio book running. Stillness is a key. The obstacle is a way. And he, he's actually wrote a, quite a few books, but those, those three that deal with stoicism and stoic philosophies, I, I'm really like really getting into stoicism. And I think it's just a gift. You're going to have to provide me a list. Yeah, I definitely will. You've rattled off a few and I'm like, oh, we got to share the list of Barbie's goodies here so folks can go check those out. So I'm totally going to have you email me those and include them. I will do that. I'll give you my top five. Must read. Heck yeah, man. Barbie, what excites you most about what you do? Oh, unlimited potential. There's so much freedom in metal. There's so much freedom as an artist. I literally can do whatever the fuck I want to. I've just incredibly, like, had no idea my business would lead me where I am. I didn't intend to do what I'm doing. I just wanted to make art. But there's a limitless and freedom in, like, I'm creating creatures right now, like characters and creatures. There's no limit. So, like, if I want to put bat wings on a girl, I can. Mm. Um, I just find, like, this deep sense of fulfillment in, in creating the characters. And, like, with metal, like, there's no limits to what I can do with them, you know? Like, and I'm bending, like, this hard material to my will, which is pretty powerful feeling. That's empowering. It definitely is. What is a personal habit or practice that has helped you significantly in this industry or your journey in the industry? 
two things. One I can talk about work-wise and one is personal. Work-wise is just practice. Um, I compete against myself every damn day. Um, I do look to others for potentially like where I want to be or for inspiration. But at the end of the day, I judge myself against myself. I will never look at another artist and go, oh, I wish my, like, oh, my stuff isn't that good. No, I look at my art today and say, is it better than what it was yesterday? And that goes for anything that you're doing. Just a sidebar really quick, like mentally, mental health wise, anything in your personal life. Do not judge yourself against anyone else because you are judging your day one against someone else's day 100. And that's not fair. So like if you're in AA, judge your day one against your day one. Maybe you want to look at someone who's got 30 years sober. But judge your day one. Like try to be better today than what you were yesterday. That's the only way to win when we judge ourselves against other people. It's a freaking lose game, man. Like you'll never win against someone else because you have no idea. You don't have the same experiences. Mm. The second thing that if I can attest my success to anything personally uh, is actually meditation. I've done it since I was a kid. Not always all the time. And definitely like in my dark time, I was not doing it. I say my dark time and I'm sure there's a better word for it. But like when I was screwing up, I wasn't. I meditate on an almost every single day basis. I have a playlist that I've made on YouTube of different meditation stuff, and I play it overnight on a loop while I sleep. Right now, I'm actually working on money, but like there's always like I've got like this spirit animal thing. I mm -hmm. love animals. I'm very, very nature based, and so I have the first one is a spirit animal. That's the one I go to like fall asleep listening to. The rest of them right now, I'm totally focused on money and raising my money mentality and really like honoring the pieces that I'm making with my upbringing. It was kind of hard to be like, Oh, this is a hundred bucks. Knowing I put like 50 cents in scrap metal into it, but wrapping my brain around the fact like there is nothing else like this. That's right. Like, no one else will ever. So like putting, you know, putting a hundred dollars on that is just shameful. So I like my money is definitely probably my last challenge. I'm going to say, I'll never stop being challenged, but as far as like my self-improvement, mm -hmm. I'll always, always work to improve myself, but the money is like my last big hurdle that I'm just like this one. Like this is just going to change everything when I get, uh, it's about honoring myself, honoring my art. It's, it's about honoring a lot of stuff and that money, like growing up with the money mentality that I had is, uh, gosh, it is definitely, uh, it's put me in really bad positions. I'm so glad that you talked about that. It's something that we haven't talked about on the podcast. And it's so critical because it's just about personal worth. And there's personal worth. And then there's your business worth. And you go through this personal evolution where someone has their nine to five job and, you know, their pay raises are directly proportionate to their own personal worth and the value that they feel they provide the company. And then it's a whole different level when it's your own business and understanding the worth around your own business and your own work. I'm so glad you brought that up. And Barbie, finally, what is your parting advice to other fem mechanics finding their way in the skilled trades industry? Oh, that's so good. It comes down to practice. Whatever it is, whether you're a plumber or an auto mechanic or a welder, it's about honoring 
your craft by honoring your skills, which also honors yourself, and it goes back to the self-esteem. Your job in the skilled trades is to grow yourself into the best possible version of yourself that you can. As a human being and as a tradesperson, craftsmanship over everything, I think. It's just so... With me, with the craftsmanship, that's what led me into good self-esteem. Like, I'd finish a job and I'd be like, damn, girl, that's looking good, you know? And the thing is, is like, by, by honoring my craft, it allowed me to walk away feeling good each day. What had happened was people that are in the trades are seeing how I'm honoring myself and my craft. And that's how we're going to blow these you know, glass ceilings open is by going in and yes, putting in a damn good day of work and doing everything you can yourself, you know, asking for help if you need it, because everyone should, but also go in there and handle your shit, you know what I'm saying? Like do whatever you can to improve yourself and bring as much value to the table as possible. There's a caveat to that. If you're not being treated with love and respect, then kick rocks and go find a place at will. Because there are so many places out there that are looking for yes. skilled tradesmen and they don't give a flying rat's ass what color you are or what your sex is. They want skilled tradesmen that'll go in and handle their stuff without an attitude, right? <laughs> without an attitude. Yeah, just go in and put in the best damn day of work that you possibly can on yourself by being the best version of yourself everywhere. And again, if you're not being treated with love and respect, then kick rocks. Love it. There are people out there who will deeply honor exactly what you're doing. And where and how can people connect with you, Barbie? Oh, I'm easy to find, man. <laughs> Just search Barbie the Welder on, let's see, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok. I'm new to TikTok in the last six months and madly in love with that. I'm really active on LinkedIn. It depends on what you're looking for, right? So each of the different Social media platforms are letting me do different stuff. Um, Facebook is like, you know, like, I guess my average stuff is Facebook. Like, my mom and dad are on there. I keep that mostly clean. (laughs) Instagram, I put the welding, the badass stuff on there. YouTube is where I teach. So if you're looking to learn how to do metal art or how I'm making my sculptures to see how I make them, I share that. I got a new motorcycle new to me. Um, I'm going to be building that. So the bike build is going to be on YouTube. So if you like motorcycles, come check that out. I'm learning as I go. I have no freaking clue what I'm doing, but I figured out stuff before. LinkedIn, I love, love LinkedIn because it allows me to really put out that inspirational stuff that is, you know, I've got, I've got like this mix. I'm like, I got the badassery that I love to do. I love to do the goofiness. That's TikTok. So you can find my goofy side on TikTok. But like that inspirational stuff is LinkedIn and just uh, like, I love it because all the different platforms allow me to bring something a little bit different. So I might post the same picture on LinkedIn as I do on Instagram one day, but there's going to be a total different message on LinkedIn. So if you're following me on one and you want to know the other one, just go check it out. So I'm out there. Barbie, thank you so much for being in the driver's seat today and your willingness to be vulnerable. I have so much respect for you, not just as an artist and what you're doing as a business professional and as a business owner and representing women and helping women break through a glass ceiling. I think ultimately just you as a person, period. Kudos to you. I have mad love and respect for you. 
Thank you so much. It's just such an honor for you guys to take your time and interview for this and share my story. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Barbie. My name is Barbie the Welder, and I'm a fun mechanic. Des Farrow is in the driver's seat next. She owns Nessie Customs, a shop where she specializes in custom paint and restorations. She was recently a featured contestant on Motor Trend's Bitchin' Boot Camp. Des brings us along her career journey and gives us a behind-the-scenes experience on Bitchin' Boot Camp. Be sure to tune in next week. Until next time, Femcanics. Thanks for listening to the Femcanic Garage Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Femcanic Garage. Check out our website, femcanicgarage.com, for swag and the transcribed for each episode. If you want to help grow this community, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, review, and most importantly, share this podcast. Spread the word. This is Jamie B. signing off. Are you a femcanic?